Don't shoot the deputies. Hello and welcome to Don't Shoot the Deputies, a podcast run by two deputy heads living on opposite sides of the country. Hello to all of our listeners and to my co-host Steve. Thank you, Russell. Great to be here as always. And I'm really excited today to talk about a really important issue. Yes, me too, Steve. We're discussing the early career framework that comes into place in September. And we're joined by two representatives from Ambition Institute. If you don't know already, Ambition Institute is an organisation that runs a number of evidence-informed training programmes for teachers and leaders. And they are just one of the providers schools can choose to go with to deliver an early career programme based on this new framework. A big welcome to Nicola Pod and Sophie Morgan-Williams. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here. No, thank you. The pleasure is ours. And thank you for giving up your time this evening. Could you both talk briefly to us about your roles at Ambition Institute and why the new framework is relevant to your work, please? Good question. So I'm Nicola and I'm the Director of Programmes at Ambition. And the work that I'm doing at Ambition around the Early Career Framework is really important to my role because it's that first step in an early career teacher's profession and I'm excited to kind of be at that first step with them and really support to build not just their knowledge base but their confidence as they step into their teaching profession. Sophie. Thanks so much Nicola. So my role is kind of a bit of a bridging person so I work with a network lead who might be looking to implement the program across their network of five schools, 15 schools, 50 schools. And I work with them to support the implementation and delivery of our program within their network. So huge amount of understanding their context, their community, the challenges and assets that they already bring to their early career teachers and working out what the program will look like on the ground for both their teachers and mentors and crucially maintaining sort of that fidelity to the evidence base behind the program but also being flexible enough to support that on the ground day-to-day reality of school life. Brilliant that's a great introduction from you both. So a great starting point for this conversation would be to explore why there even is this new framework and how starting your career in September 2021 will look different perhaps to a traditional NQT year of the past? Yeah, well, I have to say, I wish that I had the ECF back when I was an NQT in 2008 or whenever it was. The the mindset, I think, for too long has been a sink or swim mentality. Mm. And never more has that been more pertinent than the last couple of years where the, the pandemic has hugely disrupted the initial teacher training opportunities and particularly the ability to to practice and have time in front of people so I don't think there could be a better time really to be initiating a two-year program of development for for early career teachers. We've seen the shift in the landscape in terms of the retention challenges 22% of early career teachers or newly qualified teachers no longer working in the state sector after two or three years. And we know as well that with the current population bulge, particularly in secondary, it's so important that, that that's leading to about sort of 10 to 15% increase in the student population at secondary schools. So not only do we not have enough teachers in the profession, but they're leaving at a really, really significant rate. And that's just not good enough for our pupils. Mm-hmm. So I think this framework is going to be so important to, you know, as part of the government's recruitment and retention strategy to provide NQTs with better quality uh, and more consistent support and training in those first two years where it's so crucial that they build that sense of self-efficacy 
and are more efficient and effective in their practice. I think it's also about that step back from a policy perspective, isn't it, as well, and the context that that's sitting within. So I think for government, it's really about looking at the levers that they use within the system to improve that for teachers and for school leaders. So not just the challenges around retention, but the part in which professional development really plays in levering those outcomes for children and young people. So ambition, we're very kind of focused on our core mission is around disadvantage and educational disadvantage. So being part of the early career framework that has that evidence-informed practice right at the heart of it in terms of the government strategy enables us to live out our mission every day which is great as well but also the fact that you know professional development high quality teachings are the things that are going to kind of create that equity uh, for children and young people and their outcomes but also now that the kind of incoming framework around professional development that golden thread that we're trying to kind of see throughout a, a teacher's profession very much kind of creates that coherent and coordinated and that like body of professional knowledge and that they can utilize not just in what they know but in what they do in the classroom so for us I think that's the exciting piece as well because ECF is one part of our offer at Ambition so it really brings that together for us and brings it to life. Absolutely and I was thinking before we talk about and discuss the program schools can actually opt into can we talk about the main roles that schools will need to have in place to support ECTs in this new model we've heard about mentors and tutors but what do they actually need to do on a practical level and what would the head teacher themselves need to do really great question I think that's you know big on um, head teachers minds at the moment in particular so I think that you know we know that the early career teachers who make the best progress throughout their NQT year have the the most effective mentors. So what we're looking to do as part of this programme is also put in place a programme of mental development and support so that we can really raise the professionalism and quality of mentoring throughout throughout the country and also recognise the time that mentors already put into this. So we're really formalising that mentor role. So no longer will it be a sort of a bit more ad hoc or based on the goodwill of mentors, you know, in their sort of after school time. That time is now protected and funded as part of the policy. So both mentors will receive their own package of training and support but they'll also have funded release time so that they're able to meet with their early career teacher every single week across the uh, the first year of the program and every fortnight across the second year of the program which I think is just going to be so valuable to continue for early career teachers to really be making changes to their practice and to continue to keep getting better. So that's the crucial thing about mentoring. And I think it's really worthwhile highlighting that that's quite a different role now than it was under the old system of induction. And that has huge capacity implications for schools. So alongside that, there's going to be a sort of potentially somebody who's in the the SLT who might be that induction coordinator who oversees all the appropriate body assessment side of induction, which is going to sit as a separate process, but also who can facilitate the ECF within their school, who can ensure that release time is is factored into timetablings, who can ensure that the the early career teacher and the mentor meet weekly, who can monitor and and hold accountable both parties for their engagement with the process. Fantastic. So one thing I felt like I wanted to pick up a little bit before I move on to my next question was just that idea of the two-year programme rather than the one year. What are the main advantages of that that you see? I think there are several advantages. We know that teachers have not necessarily 
both absorbed and able to apply that body of knowledge at the end of their ITT year or even at the end of their current NQT year. And by spreading that development out and situating it within this little and often approach, I think really that's what we're looking to make the difference in actually changing teachers' practice. I think that the core sort of objective, if you like, of the, the body of knowledge within the ECF is that teachers are able to close that knowing-doing gap and that mentors can, can help them translate that pedagogical theory into classroom practice. It's not enough for teachers to know something. They have to be able to do it and to do it consistently as well. Great. Now, you've touched on it in your answer a moment ago, Sophie, but some of the schools who have taken on ECTs for September, in fact, in my school, we have four. They may be starting to panic just visualising that practically. You know, I'm delighted to have new teachers in the profession. That's a joy for me. Moldable minds. But there are practical and potentially financial implications. Is this new framework going to cost schools more money? You've talked about funding, but it'd be nice to have a bit more reassurance and clarity around that because I'm sure lots of head teachers are panicking with tightening budgets. Is it going to have any financial implications? And is it going to be really complicated for schools to deliver this two-year programme? Really great questions. I'm going to go over to Nicola, first of all, from the financial side of things, and then I'll pick up on some of the logistics. Perfect. Yeah, so I think if schools are using a funded provider-led ECT, like we are doing at Ambition, then the real advantages around that is the fully funded model, and that's kind of built into it. It's the way in which we've designed our programme, so it very much integrates with and sits alongside the rhythm of the school year. It takes account of pinch points within the school year like exam periods we've structured and broken down the curriculum so that it can be picked up frequently and regularly but without that overburden in terms of capacity both for the early career teacher and for the mentor supporting them so that program is funded it's it's key that schools don't feel that additional financial burden on them so they receive additional funding in year two directly for easy time and mentor time as we've already talked about off timetable and that's paid directly to schools it's five percent and then there's additional funding that comes through for 20 hours of mentoring and for releasing that mentor time to do that work so there's huge advantages taking that route and also because you're able to really benefit from the materials and the resources that we've crafted and that have been quality assured and that they're accredited and you know that they're going to deliver on the knowing and doing that we need early career teachers to do and that they're going to be well supported in that and the quality of that work is is going to be fundamental to it so I think it has many advantages going through that route I think if schools decide to do their own design they're going to have to take that time to to design what they're going to do they're going to have to still meet the same requirements they're going to have to meet through their appropriate body assessments as well that fidelity to the program so I think it depends on the context of the school Mm -hmm. and and the capacity that they've got and and what they're hoping to achieve but I think there are advantages becoming through a provider-led or using the accredited materials already available Mm, great that's what I was just thinking about actually because um if we now turn our attention to schools who can deliver a program based on this framework yeah they've got the options um they want to know is their funding available is there anything else you could add in that sense of how they can deliver this I can see whereby um, you might want to deliver itself because it depends on the level of contextualization, let's say, that you want to do to the program. You might want to take the materials and really kind of tailor and bespoke them. And I think although there is flexibility and agility to be able to contextualize the provider-led programs and the SIP 
materials, you know, there is a limit to the adaptations that you want to make. So I think if a school or a trust is really looking to make those changes, then that would be an advantage. Or else they already have a really solid and comprehensive and well-embedded mentoring and early career programme and induction programme that they want to utilise. So they're already working within an environment whereby they could enrich that a bit further and they're not starting from scratch. So I think those are the two routes that would be of an advantage to a school. But you'd have to be in that context, I think, for it to be truly value for money and work in terms of capacity and time. Yeah. And hearing you speak there a couple of years ago, we had a position where two or three NQTs were starting at the same time. And obviously there was nothing like this then. So we kind of developed this bespoke program for our school for a year and we mapped out all our training sessions based on, you know, there was some contextual stuff around the priorities we had worked on and we'd done a lot of math mastery. So we but it was a lot of work. Yeah. And I have to say there was a, a huge wave of relief for me when I saw this framework to know there were these funded programs and to, to, to look at them and think, actually, I don't have to map out two years <laughs> on my own. You know, I'm pretty good at this stuff, but that's a big ask, particularly if you've got uh, more than one uh, ECT beginning with you. So there are various options if schools choose to go with a funded provider-led program. And I'm personally not sure why you wouldn't want to do that, but fair points about contextualization. And I think there's still room for a bit of that, even with a funded provider-led program. Absolutely. But can you tell us about the, we're speaking to Ambition Institute. Can you tell us about your offer and what those of us like me who have ECTs next year, and we are going with Ambition Institute. That's why I'm speaking to you very selfishly. What can we expect? Give us a, give us a sense of what, what that it's going to look and feel like? We're really proud of our programme. I think that we thought long and hard about how we develop and design the curriculum and how we deliver the knowledge and the practice that early career teachers and their mentors need to enable them to really succeed throughout the two years of the induction. I think its design has very much taken account of that kind of sequence curriculum. It's granular, it's bite-sized. You're able to really kind of focus on some specific areas of your practice, really align it to the context that you're working within. And you're really able to work alongside your mentor to look at what are you learning? What does it mean to you? And how do you put it into practice through that instructional coaching route so that it really has those immediate effects within it? So for me, I think at a high level, I would say, you know, the design and structure, the cadence of it, the way in which we've designed the modular aspects and the strands of learning that go throughout the two years um, and the agility then for early career teachers to be able to align that with what they're doing in the classroom and their mentors to support them, I think is something that we're really proud of. We think that it delivers to a high level. I think as well, our experience of running the pilot this year and the pre-pilot in the previous year as well has meant that we've had opportunities to refine both the structure and sequence of that curriculum. So whilst all providers are working to the ECF, the same framework, and all providers have to work you know, pretty much the same envelope of parameters in terms of the contract with the Department for Education, the ways in which we have structured, sequenced, sliced both those hours and the way in which we've looked at that content is going to be slightly different. I think we're very aware that schools are incredibly dynamic and busy places. And so we have ensured that essentially the the, the pattern is the same every week. We've taken what we know from cognitive science and the science of learning and applied exactly the same principles to early career teachers and, and, and how they will learn best 
you know, an early career teacher is subject to cognitive overload on a sort of daily basis. And we've really taken that into account when we've thought about uh, both both the content and the sequence of the programme. Equally, having that habitual formula, if you like, for those weekly meetings enables both the mentor and the early career teacher to really focus on the content rather than the activity that they're doing this week. And I think that that is a really crucial feature of our programme. It also means that there's that flexibility built in. So if somebody's off sick or someone's on a residential, there's no catching up required. People just start again where they left off. And it also means as well that we can include scaffold and stretch So we know that, for example, if somebody has been a cover supervisor or a learning support assistant for 10 years in the school and then has gone on to do their training, there are going to be elements of the framework that they're going to move through more quickly than others. But I would just say that, you know, again, sort of to really highlight that we're looking for a mastery based approach here rather than a coverage focused approach across the two years. So there's multiple opportunities to revisit the same content through different lenses. We know that we need multiple concrete representations of these abstract concepts. What does high expectations look like through the lens of behavior? What does high expectations look like through the lens of planning? What does high expectations look like through the lens of early literacy? What does high expectations look like through the lens of, uh, of assessment say? So again, the opportunity to revisit these quite abstract concepts on, on a regular basis, but through different lenses and through different examples and contextualization is so important. That's a great point, Sophie. Can I just ask a couple of follow-up questions mm. just, just linked to that point? So the first is, you know, I think what teachers sometimes really like and leaders is just to really visualize what it's going to look like in a real practical day-to-day. So yeah. can you almost paint a picture for me? I'm an ECT. I've got my bit of time out of class this week. What will that look like? What will I actually do if I've got a program like Ambition Institute? Yeah, great question. So again, you know, the, the crucial thing to know is that it's the same every week. Yep. So once you've got it once you know that you're having that that same thing every week so you'll engage with some self-study so we've got a learning management system called step lab which houses all of our content and is really the vehicle through which it scaffolds both mentors and early career teachers through every element of the program and takes that heavy lifting and thinking out of it so they'll engage with some self-study on step lab looking at the theory behind for example ways of addressing low-level disruption or breaking down learning objectives and success criteria, let's say. They'll then watch a model of what that looks like in practice. Again, we're really keen to provide those models of what a good one looks like. Creating and, and, and ensuring that early career teachers know what they're aiming for is so, so important. So that takes about 40, 45 minutes. So um, every week they'll do that self-study. They'll then engage with a 45-minute instructional coaching conversation with their mentor. So their mentor will have come in and observed them for about 15 minutes, a learning walk style observation, looking at a very specific area of their practice, let's say their entry routines, or let's say the way in which they move the pupils from the carpet to the tables and back again. And we'll be able to provide feedback uh, and select an action step for them to work on that will move their practice forward. So that's sort of about an hour and 15 minutes with the self-study and then the 45 minutes instructional coaching conversation will really provide the the basis from which they can then plan to integrate that into their practice from that next lesson that they teach. 
Brilliant. That's really helpful just to visualise that. Uh, And that leads me nicely into my second question, which is about how this framework and this programme can integrate with your pre-existing coaching and mentoring practices in the school. So for my school, we have very much this year adopted an incremental coaching model based on an Ambition Institute paper about incremental coaching, which is great and is working successfully. And our staff in in our school, our teaching staff are are essentially split into three what we call CPD groups that are headed up by an assistant head or or me as deputy. We have CPD staff meetings linked to uh, Tom Sherrington, Oliver Capiglioli's walkthroughs, which is brilliant. And then alongside that is the incremental coaching, which is much more bespoke. So our teachers, maybe two, three times a half term, are visited on this lovely kind of cycle of, of small, specific target so when we became aware of this model it was kind of like well how does that fit because you talked earlier about maybe the mentoring being more like sort of perhaps another teacher and the induction tutor maybe being SLT but I feel a little bit torn there because our SLT do a lot of the kind of mentoring and it feels natural that those ECTs would come into our CPD groups and we would integrate that with what we're doing already. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing to stop you from doing that. I think there are a couple of perhaps considerations to, to think about yep. uh, and, and implications of that. So the reason why we we recommend that the induction coordinators, that member of SLT and the mentors, that, that role is split is because often the induction coordinator will also be involved in the assessment component of induction. Yes. And we know that if somebody is both being assessed and engaging in weekly developmental coaching by the same person, those roles can get muddied. We know, therefore, that it might be more difficult to present yourself as vulnerable or unsure to the person who ultimately is going to be assessing whether or not you're making sufficient progress towards the teaching standards. So that's one reason why we recommend those roles are split the second reason is and 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 this may be sort of uh where schools start to think you know two three four five years down the line we know that a lot of head teachers are quite concerned about the capacity implications of of mentoring and having weekly mentor meetings even though they know that that time that release time is funded but there's a significant capacity implication there Mm. so one of the really great things about the the ecf and the ect program is that it places mentors at the forefront of that development as well. So it's about building capacity in the system. We know then that we're creating for every ECT who we're going to be working with and and, and training, there will also be another mentor alongside who is building their knowledge, skills and experience in um, instructional coaching. So again, it's a vehicle through which we can both professionalize that mentor role, but also increase capacity in the system. So those two are the, the primary sort of considerations, I guess I would, I would, talk to a a school leader about but I think again it's about having the best person for the job and we know that that's going to look different in different schools so different schools might might work with different models we know that for example particularly in small rural schools with very small staff bodies that role might have to sit with the same person so I think it's just being really intentional about which hat that you're wearing at that time and and knowing that you know the, the way in which you might run it in September might be different from the way in which you run it in five years time when your your current ECTs perhaps might be the people that you're selecting as your mentors because they've <laughs> been through that process and they've got that experience of, of instructional coaching as well and are, are really primed to be ready to take on that training. Sure, that's real food for thought. I, I definitely understand the importance of the distinction of those roles. You know, they're wearing different hats. I suppose in our heads, we were wondering about 
the SLT being able to be the mentors and then the induction tutors, a few of our more experienced yeah. teaching staff. Yeah. Is that is that OK if that fits? Yeah, and we absolutely. Feel like people can do those roles. Great. Uh, I think that's just good to sort of have said, really, because I suppose yeah. I suppose everyone's going to have to tailor this to work for their own context, aren't they? Fantastic. Look, uh, I feel like the conversation's whizzed by, but you've been so uh, concise and clear in your explanations about the programme and what we can expect. Before we close, is there anything you feel we've missed or that you wanted to say? I think what the ECF isn't might be worth kind of focusing on as some closing comments we really felt around that. And it builds upon what you were just saying, that context, what's already happening. So it is there to kind of extend. It's not a replacement for, but it enriches that, that induction offer that you have the fact that the opportunity to really integrate it to what's going on in your school is really important so that it provides that legacy and that ongoing commitment and prioritization we didn't talk about it as much but i think that head teacher role in being able to lead that strategy Mm. lead the prioritization of it how it kind of is integrated to not bolted on it's definitely not another hoop to jump through this is about professionalizing the role of the mentor it's about equipping the early career teacher to succeed you know this is about building future high quality teaching pipeline within the system and and being secure within that and offering that so whilst there are capacity challenges around it it's not meant to be a drain on capacity again it's about being able to be funded to build that capacity within the system and for those early career teachers who will really struggle in their profession you know it gives them that additional support and focus support at the very early stages you know not everybody comes out of their training feeling super confident about being a teacher in the classroom or different different schools that they're working within isn't it that they've got to build their craft so it gives them that so that I think for us you know that's what drives us to do the work around early career teaching and we're doing work around the MPQs to continue that journey but for us those are the fundamentals around it and will hopefully lead to better retention for our ECTs and more yeah absolutely within that so I mean and we haven't touched upon kind of the impact that that will have on pupils in the classroom and Mm. the real you know in terms of outcomes and that high quality teaching that you know those standards that schools will really be secure in and that there'll be that consistent practice coming through from ITT beyond then I think you know that's really powerful in itself as well absolutely it really is about a culture shift isn't it Steve you think you know that mentality that sadly I've seen in the profession in my career of almost like a survival of the fittest mentality and and you talked about that 22% earlier mm-hmm. Sophie what a tragedy that is at the moment and and how many great teachers do exist in that 22% that just needed that or potential great teachers of the future and you know I'm really inspired by um do you remember speaking to Colvin Atwell Steve um mm-hmm. who wrote the thinking school and he said school leaders need to think of their teachers like we do about the students in our class like that they can all get there and I know sometimes the profession works out not to be right for some individuals but that's that's quite rare like we've got to we've got to see the potential in every teacher and you know on this podcast we've spoken to so many great leaders who have turned around schools that were told they weren't good enough with the same teachers who were judged inadequate and so I think this is a brilliant message about the the potential and the and the hope that, that should exist in our in our new teachers so absolutely we really do um wish every school who's taken on early career teachers for september the very best of luck as well as all you fantastic new teachers that are about to 
enter your careers at what has been the maddest time to train I can possibly imagine. <laughs> uh, Nicola and Sophie, really appreciate your uh, expertise, your passion for, for what you're doing, because I think I think it's wonderful. Before we do disappear, I can't help but ask, I'm thinking of all the head teachers that are also really dealing with the short-term practical stuff. What do they need to do before the end of term that they may be freaking out about practically for this? <laughs> yeah, well, they do need to let the DfE know what route they're going to take. Yes. Um, so they have to register on the DfE portal and they need to name their induction coordinator. We call them their coordinator induction tutor. Yes. For all those people that are working with us, then it's a similar registration process with us. So they're in the pipeline. But if you haven't picked your route yet, you should be picking what you're doing. Yeah, and confirming that with the department. Thank you. And this thing about your local body, what, what, what role do they play? So, for example, I'm a local authority school. So your appropriate body will continue to be the assessing point for, for the induction process. Great. That's helpful to have that clarity. I just going to also recommend that head teachers really think about who they're going to ask to be their mentors, thinking about who are the best placed teachers in their school who know that they can provide that developmental support to early career teachers and start thinking about protecting that times off timetables. That's a helpful uh, helpful bit of advice there. Just one final supplementary question before you go. I, I suspect there will be some schools out there who have teachers that began their NQT year last year. We have that in our school. What, what happens for those teachers? Can they access this framework? Uh, how will that look? So unfortunately, they won't be eligible to join as part of the national rollout from September. However, they will be able to access the free resources that are available on the DfE website and they will still have that protected release time to work through those with their mentor. So that's what we would really recommend doing. Perfect. Thanks for clarifying that. Moving forward, if anyone wants to sort of give you any follow up questions, because I suspect they'll have hundreds still. Is there a way they can get in touch with you or either of you on Twitter or any lovely places like that that they could contact you? Yes. (laughs) I don't use Twitter very much. (laughs) (laughs) You might after this, Sophie. Yeah, I might. I'll be tagging you into all the episode, into the episode release. I'm at at Sophie Morgan W. At Sophie Morgan W. Okay, we will make sure to tag you into the uh, release of this podcast. And then you can be hit with a barrage of questions that I can't answer. So <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to Thank it. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Don't shoot the deputy.